Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we talk about when we talk about faith. On today's episode, Ed and I welcome the Reverend Stephen Holton, Rector of Christ Church New Haven, in a discussion about worship in the Christmas season. A fellow native of Georgia, Father Holton earned his BA at Emory University and prepared for the priesthood at Yale Divinity School and Berkeley Divinity School at Yale. His academic interests include the intersection between sacramental theology and missional service as reconciliation. Prior to ordination, Father Holton worked in fundraising and nonprofit management in the arts, education, and human services sectors. He is a past convener of the Society of Catholic Priests for the Greater Newark Region and serves on the boards of the Community Soup Kitchen at Christchurch and the Society for the Increase of Ministry. We welcome Father Holton today. I'm Ed. And I'm Stephen. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks. Welcome, Stephen. So glad to see you. Full it's disclosure, nice Stephen and I are really good friends, so if there's inside jokes, please. <laughs> Ed, Ed's in charge of, of telling us if, if we've gone too far. I'll flag it. Thank you. And I will. Thank you. Yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> so, shall we get started? Um, it. It's really great to have you. Thanks. Uh, I'm glad to be here on Roundhill Radio. So uh, Leslie and I have been talking over the last few weeks. So Roundhill Radio is kind of getting getting its sea legs, and we're starting to think about a whole variety of topics that we wanted to cover. Since we think uh, spend a lot of our time thinking about worship, and planning and preparing for it, and the rituals that we experience in it, we thought, uh, and Leslie thought in particular, you'd be a great guest. So we're really glad to have you with us. And um, so I thought I'd start off by asking you, Stephen, uh, how do you prepare personally for worship? Uh, you know, there's the public side of that in which you have your congregation you're working with and you have resources that you use and probably an order of service that's fairly similar from week to week. But what, uh, what, it, what goes on in your own heart and mind as you're preparing for worship as a worship leader? Right. The, 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 of course, there are weeks and months before we're going through the calendar and seeing what's coming next and using our uh, I'm Episcopalian, so we use the Book of Common Prayer in the Anglican tradition, which is the, the basic structure of all the ways that we pray together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of that work we, we put into, into to effect. We choose hymns. We make sure that the prayers match the season. And the, using the Revised Common Lectionary, a list of readings for the year, we make sure that we're reading what um, many other churches across uh, uh, the, the Christian world are reading. Uh, each Sunday, and so that preparation is is fairly uh, standard. We do that week in, week out, month in, month out. But the the uh, the personal preparation, in a, when all of that work is done, mm-hmm. uh, my favorite thing uh, in terms of preparing for, uh, for 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 the liturgy, preparing for that prayer that we have together, is every morning before any of the masses, before any of the Eucharist, any of the services that we have on a Sunday, at seven thirty in the morning, we have a service of morning prayer. And the only people who show up for this service are the priests in my church and uh, one or two parishioners that are there faithfully every Sunday. So it's a really small community. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our seminary interns, someone who's studying for the ministry uh, and working in the parish, leads that service. So I'm not leading it. I'm not doing anything. I just turn up, walk in, sit down, and 
they lead us in prayer and we pray together for about 15 minutes before the day. Oh. It's a moment when I'm not on, I can just be fed by the prayers and, and, and pray myself and pray for all the people that are going to join uh, in services that day. And that's an important part of preparation for, for me on Sunday. If that gets thrown off, my day goes off. Huh, Everything just feels a little behind. Yeah, it sounds like a wonderful gift. It is. It's a, it's, a, it's a great gift, not only to have the service, but also to have that seminarian that leads it. Mm-hmm. And then for the parishioners that are there, uh, their faithfulness in, in being there is a great support for the work that we'll then do together for that day. Stephen, as you talk with your colleagues and um, think and talk about worship, do you think that one of the unspoken challenges of ministry is that many times we are expected to lead worship but then find it hard uh, to be in a worshipful attitude ourselves because what you're describing, that lovely, brief morning service, is a time to connect with the divine. You're, you're more of a recipient in that place than you are a provider. Um, do you think this is a challenge that doesn't really get talked about very much? And, and, what's the, and if that's true, what's the loss that's happening that needs yeah. to be addressed? I think it is something that we have to be attentive to for anyone who is helping to lead in in worship, right? So uh, uh, singing the hymns, being in the, 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 the congregation and, and saying the prayers uh, is, is, is a great way to connect with the divine and connect with God's presence in the people around us, and that's exciting. But if you're the person who has to start that prayer, or mm-hmm. if you are the organist that has to play that hymn, or the choir member or the acolyte that has to light the candle and remember to do all the things, the reader that has to come forward, you have to be thinking ahead. And it can, uh, that can be jarring, or it can, what I talk about with our acolytes, we do a retreat once a year, uh, these are folks who serve in, in worship. They light the candles. They carry the cross. Uh, they lead processions. This sort of thing. And we talk with them about being really attentive to that moment of, of being aware of what's happening, but in a non-anxious way, thinking mm. of what's next, so that going to the next place you have to be or doing the next thing becomes in and of itself a prayer. Mm-hmm. So we're saying the prayer that we're saying as, as the entire congregation, but also my walking across to the other side of the altar to carry the cruet of water or wine or whatever, that that becomes my own offering to God and to the people in that moment. Mm. So, uh, so taking the thing that could be a distraction, that could pull me out of prayer and making a part of the prayer. Um, and I think that's something that comes only with some practice and, and, and uh, settling into, uh, you know, whatever, I had a, had a professor once that used to say, whatever happens in the liturgy, um, you know, you can practice it and you need to, you better practice it, you know, know where you're supposed to be, uh-huh. practice the day before. But once it starts, it's happening and the Holy Spirit covers that. There are no mistakes at that point. It's all an offering right. that the Holy Spirit takes and, 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 and uses so God, please accompany me as I nervously approach this candle here and hope that it lights. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and we, we, in fact, do some prayers in the sacristy of preparation before we leave and go out in procession to the altar. Um, and all the acolytes in the choir and uh, the priests will all pray together in that moment. And, and, and one of the prayers is indeed, um, because this work demands my full attention, let it be a prayer unto mm. you, O God. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes even more challenging this time of year when our day-to-day lives are even more harried and stressful or, you know, and then our worship life and our our preaching life is uh, amped up. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't do it often. We we only do Christmas once a year. Right, and you want to make it so perfect and you want to make it 
everything. And so it's so yeah. easy to get in like work mode. Mm-hmm. You know, and even on a Sunday morning, be so caught up in, in all of it. Uh, yesterday here, we had our children's pageant, which for the choir, we didn't have that much to do. And I was originally initially feeling a bit guilty about that, that the choir sort of had it, had it easy because they liked, they liked to really give a lot on a Sunday morning. And it turned out to have been great. It was a fantastic pageant. And I think they really enjoyed sitting back and enjoying what the church could do without them a little bit and what they were able to then have a worshipful time and be led by our children, which is a newer thing around here anyways. And it, was, it created this really beautiful dialogue. Nice. It was, yeah. it was exciting. Are there moments, uh, Stephen, so thinking about the pageant, you know, there's always something that can't be planned for can't be anticipated that's right? a nice way to put that and those yes. are the, and those often turn out to be the best moments of the pageant right that right. somebody remembers that two or three years down the road and so it sort of raises for me the question of um, I'm not sure if I want to use the word spontaneity but things that happen during the course of worship that may go uh, in a way other than anticipated I remember a story that the writer Annie Dillard tells in one of her books where she was spending some time out on the west coast in on an island off the coast of Washington I think and doing some writing there and she went to a little congregational church every Sunday and she says that every uh, one Sunday the minister stood up and said in the midst of the prayers God we pray these prayers every single Sunday you know as if to say we're waiting for something to change and she said for this reason I like him very much you know that suddenly he went off script so um, what's, the, what's the tension between having a liturgy, which in the Episcopal tradition, in a sense, flows out of a very, very deep fund of tradition mm-hmm. and where things move in an anticipated pattern? And also, how do we also make room for the Spirit in other ways? I'm not saying that that's not a way for the Spirit to flow, but the Spirit may go sideways or off the page. Um, how do we do that? In how, or how do we create a sense of worship with a congregation where we feel like that can happen? Right. I, I, I think the Spirit moves where <laughs> she will, and we can't really control it. Right. As a, as a friend of mine says, any illusion of control is just that, an illusion. <laughs> yeah. um, in our own tradition, um, everything is, 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 is tightly scripted in terms of the, the, the offerings of the Book of Common Prayer and the, the, the liturgy that we, that we offer that's emerged through the through the centuries, um, so that, uh, you know, right down to the readings, and, and, and there's some, I, I grew up uh, in the United Methodist tradition and had family members that were in the Baptist tradition, uh, and, and there was, so there was always this conversation as a child about, uh, you know, all oh, those Methodists, they pray with, with, they pray prayers out of the book, you know, and those uh. Episcopalians, they pray by the book. And the Baptists <laughs> had, had real faith because they could just pray extemporaneously and the Spirit moved them. And there is something good and holy in those those moments. I've also been in moments where I was very glad for the restriction of the, the Book of Common Prayer so that the prayer would eventually end and we'd get to a point. So We didn't need so, quite that much right, from one right. person. Well, we, we didn't need to know all of those things right now in this moment. Um, I find that within our own, uh, the strictures of, it's like poetry, right? The stricture of the form of the poem mm-hmm. uh, b- brings out new meaning and, and a new new visibility, new clarity. So in the, within the, 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 uh, the, the outline of the liturgy that, that we're moving through, uh, there are these moments when, when you suddenly notice a change, 
when, oh, who's that person that we just prayed for in the intercessions? Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, you hear the name of someone who's died uh, or uh, some sort of national tragedy that we're praying for. And it becomes even more poignant because all of the other prayers have been the same. We're asking God for the same things. And yet here's a place where the world is broken and we're asking your healing presence. Mm-hmm. And so that for me stands out even more in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are the moments that are just completely joy, like when the when the when the, the, the procession goes in the wrong direction, and, and you're just going to have to go that way because now you started, and we'll see what happens. Right, <laughs> just like life, just like life. Right. I, I wonder sometimes if um, you know what what does it mean to cultivate in a community the sense that worship and life really do mirror each other like that? I think there's a sense mm. that worship is somehow unrelated to life and we have to work hard to pull it back but maybe they're maybe they really are just in very good conversation with each other but we don't we kind of miss that you know because we expect it to be something of its own kind of contained culture whereas in fact it's giving us a way to practice right a a way to let god in through all of these elements of worship listening to music singing music praying prayers and so on and in a way we're trying to find a way to let god in in the movement of life beyond the sanctuary. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Here, here's what it might look like if the kingdom of God were here now. Here's what we're praying for. Here's what, we're, uh, what, we, what we know God wants, and we're approximating that in this, in this worshipful relationship with God in the liturgy, in this moment. But that doesn't end at the end of our hour together or the end of the service as we go out into the world, that too is worship. That Mm -hmm. is serving God with our whole lives. And hopefully we take the things that we noticed uh, in the service itself, the prayers, the things that we've asked for, the things that we've given thanks for, even those moments when we come to the table that everyone is coming to the table together, hopefully we can take that out in the world and everyone is brought to the table out in the world too so that that becomes an extension of the banquet that is uh that is the eucharistic meal that is the the place that we are together in 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 prayer in that sunday morning hour um it doesn't stop at the end of the service on sunday Mm -hmm. the liturgy continues out in the world our prayer continues out in the world because ultimately that's what it's about right it's how we live with god and one another in the world every day the word i've heard you use a couple of times um and I'm sure this is really important from a musical standpoint as well, but is the word attention. So that in the context of worship, it's it's being attentive to that thing that's about to take place or the thing that you're doing, so as to recognize that that becomes a door to the sacred, right? I'm now aware that I'm not doing this just on my own. There's the power of unseen hands, and I'm doing this in a community. There's a line of a poem in which the author of this particular poem said, I don't know how to pray, but I do know how to pay attention. Hmm. And I'm wondering, Stephen, what you think about, I, I guess my feeling sometimes as a pastor is that this is maybe not something that I have taught or um, cultivated as much as I would have liked, which is to say, really, the work, the liturgy of everyone coming into worship is to raise our attention level when we come in because it that becomes a spiritual practice that helps us to raise our attention level wherever we are does that sound fair from what you were is that sort of how you were thinking when you use the word attention 
Absolutely, yeah. The the attentiveness to the particularity of what we're doing when we pray together, mm-hmm. the attentiveness to, uh, to 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 the lonely, the hungry, the needy, those in prison in the world, the attentiveness to our brothers and sisters, the attentiveness to the stranger, just being aware, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and 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 God can open our eyes like like those those scales that fall away, and uh, with with uh, with with the, the blind man, and with then with with Paul, um, in a way that. Uh, that we see not only just the world around us, but what God longs for, mm-hmm. for the world around us. I'm always excited that the Orthodox have that moment before, often before they'll read scripture, let us be attentive, mm. the cantor will say, or the, the deacon, and then uh, um, pay attention, mm. pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned music. It's The more I think about it, the more it seems like uh, the act of worship is one of very few places where we have collective group singing anymore. Indeed. You know, all, yeah. I think mm-hmm. all of us sing in our cars, perhaps, mm-hmm. but uh, we get to sing together, and that becomes such a rare thing. Now, at Christmas time, nicely, it's it's more common, you know, a good carol sing around the piano. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, it's a very special thing, and that requires an attentiveness and a carefulness and courage. On some mm-hmm. people's parts, you know. Amen to that. <laughs> and what else, Leslie? Do we do we get around the piano and sing, or what else do we sing together right. at Christmas? That still happens, which is which is exciting. But unless you're over at the house and we're, and we're gathered we have, around the oh, piano, right? And, good times. And people are longing, are longing for that kind of connection, um, as 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 opportunities for we're so connected. With, with devices now in ways that are miraculous and wonderful. And yet the the communal attention mm-hmm. to being together, just spending time with one another, to knowing one another in community, uh, it seems to fall away. And people are so hungry, so hungry for that. Uh, there's an Anglican uh, writer from the 19th century and early 20th century called Evelyn Underhill, mm-hmm. who wrote to the Archbishop of Canterbury on the eve of a, of a conference. Uh, when the archbishop was gathering all of the clergy together, and, and mostly all the bishops, actually. And, uh, and, and, and Miss Underhill had, had a message for Archbishop Cosmo Lang. She wrote to him, Archbishop, tell your clergy to pray. And I think she would have said that of all people. Tell people to pray. Because the interesting thing about religion is God, <laughs> and people are hungry for God. And that's what we're hungering for in this hunger for community. We want to see the love of Jesus reflected in our neighbor. We want to see that we are loved. We want to experience being able to love someone else. And that happens in community. We can't do God. Even the desert fathers, the mystics that hung out in the desert like hermits, even they had a sense of the world around them. They might be in their cave praying by themselves, having their own liturgy of the hours that involved only them, and yet it involved the whole world. Mm-hmm. It was about connecting to God and to God's creation, including all of God's people, even in those moments of aloneness. And it's interesting that those people who uh, you know, moved out to the desert in the 4th, 5th century um, had that sense, I think, of the sacred, right? They, they mm-hmm. sought it, it was reflected in them. There was an energy around that, and therefore people went to them, uh, you know, really kind of sought God through them. And I think this is a little bit of what's beginning to be discovered about the church again, that we've, in a sense, we've been trying to sell the church as opposed to using the church as the sanctuary where we can begin to practice the attentiveness and the community and the traditions that bring us closer to the holy, to, to God. Yes. 
So maybe this is a time when we're finally starting to discover that. I wanted to ask you a question about something that's a little bit beyond the, the nature of worship itself, but how is worship in a congregation, in your experience, shaped by its, um, its longing to open itself up to the journey for peace or justice? Um, you know, my, I'm a real student of the civil rights era and uh, even remembering my experience of growing up at that time, so much of the music that was being sung at that time, interestingly enough, infiltrated even my little tiny all-white congregation in upstate New York. So we started singing those gospel songs, spiritual songs, songs of the 60s, and it had a huge impact on me. And uh, over the years, I think we've begun to recognize that Worship can be enlivened by that quest, just as the quest for justice is enlivened by how we worship. Do you have thoughts about that? Uh, are we are we finding that connection again, or what do you think? Or is there a connection? Maybe it's something that needs to be. Oh, I think there's a there's a huge connection <clears throat> in that, uh, especially in that when we are when we're gathered around the table or the altar, when we're gathered as community to pray, as, as the body of Christ to pray. Uh, we're longing for uh, the heavenly banquet. We're longing for the blessed community, the kingdom of God that, 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 that Jesus describes. And so in church, hopefully, in, 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 in the church, the body mm-hmm. of Christ gathered in church in that Sunday morning service or whatever else we're meeting, um, can approximate the thing that God has, has made us for. Uh, has approximated that place where there is peace and justice and everyone is is equal and beloved by God. Uh, and, and so it's no wonder that the that there was such a connection for me with uh, the civil rights movement. I went to a, a pilgrimage to um, Selma, Alabama about a decade ago mm-hmm. uh, for the Pettus Bridge crossing. You may mm-hmm. remember when uh, the, the, the Voting Rights Act was, was being passed and folks were leaving from Selma to march to the, the capital in, in Montgomery. And were turned back by, mm-hmm. by state patrolmen in Alabama, and then had a successful march uh, following that, and the the, the the voting rights act was passed. Um, so much of that march centered around communities, and a lot of the justice making work happened through the churches in that area, either as meeting places or as places of song and community. And we began our pilgrimage actually meeting up at uh, Brown uh, Amy Church there in Selma and then going across the bridge as we as we walked. And uh, what a thing to meet as the body of Christ in these, these, uh, these, these communities of faith, to then take that message out of the doors on a, on a march, on, on a pilgrimage. Um, and it's something that transcends even our, our own uh, individual uh, faith into uh, being uh, the, the people of God in the world of whatever mm-hmm. uh, faith, denomination, or creed. Um, we can all connect with, with God's love for, for, for the thing that God has made, humanity, creation, and the world. Um, I think a lot of those, those the, the songs of that era still speak to folks in our own day. Mm-hmm. I was a preschool chaplain for a while in, in New York, and one of the things that we that we would do is always sing a song, right? If you get together with kids, you gotta sing a song. <laughs> it's, it's how you learn to sing, and, exactly. and you learn things about the world in the songs that you sing. So one of the things that we would uh, we'd love to sing on, on uh, Wednesday morning chapel was This Little Light of Mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna let it shine. And that was new for many of them, 
and their parents and their grandparents remembered it. Sure. So it was connecting even those generations in that song of, of, of protest and justice and affirmation. Right. Seems like when we uh, distribute our orders of service on Sunday, you know, we're sending out a theological document. We're also, in a sense, sending out a political document, right? It's about what the world could look like, as you say, if we were allowing the intentions and the hopes and the prayers that shape worship to shape everything that we do and say. So that little uh, innocent piece of paper that we distribute when people walk into our sanctuaries, you know, here, here's your order of service, right, for the, for the day. Um, it's about more than just what's happening in that order of service. It's Absolutely. a sort of document about who you are and what matters to you. And what can be, right. what God has done and will do. Right. Stephen, thank you so much. Rich thank discussion and conversation. Thank you. Nice to be with you and happy Christmas to you. Same to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the members and friends of Round Hill Community Church. You can find more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and roundhillcommunitychurch.org.